You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. one all right first john 1 9 let's say even the subtitle and also the verse reference first john 1 9 assurance of forgiveness y'all read with me now if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness first john 1 9 how many of y'all already knew that verse in some translation okay and that i would say is one of the key verses of the christian life Last week is also on key verses, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You have those two verses there, and you'll have a whole lot of material to work with in living the Christian life. Get those two committed to memory. The other two are important that we've talked about as well. Now, these lessons on assurance. We've talked about assurance of, what's the first week we've talked about? Assurance of salvation. And if there's one area that the enemy will come against you in, it's in making question whether or not you really know Jesus personally, whether you really have eternal life. And so the lesson on assurance of salvation was really a recap of understanding what it means to be a Christian. And that is an excellent lesson, even for people who've been Christians 20 years. It's good to understand what it, what, maybe I'm really not a Christian, but once you understand that you really are, then you're able to say to the devil when he tempts you in that area, you say, hey, I'm already a believer. You can get back, Jack. You know, I don't you know, have to bother me. I'm already believed. All right. The second one we talked about was assurance of answered prayer. And I think everybody that was in here for that part of it would say that was an excellent lesson. I mean, that's one of those that just you sink your teeth into. Prayer is always a struggle, though, for the believer, isn't it? Discipline in prayer, uh, faith in prayer. The devil will come against you and he'll try to make you think that your prayers are, are worthless, but you're worthless. They try to make you think that you haven't prayed enough about something, that you got to get works into it. There's a lot of ways that the devil will come against you and try to tempt you in this area of answer prayer. They'll try to make you think that God wouldn't listen to your prayer anyway, so why should you even pray? A lot of things like that they'll say to you. Then last week we talked about the assurance of victory over sin. And that's a message that, I'll be honest with you, I was a Christian for 30 years until somebody really convinced me that the Bible teaches you can really have victory over sin kind of gave lip service to it before he teaches that you can have victory over sin now what we're going to see today though is that when you do sin you can have a turn to forgiveness what does the devil try to say to you about sin and forgiveness in relation to forgiveness what does the devil try to say to you how does he try to tempt you right Hey, I've done this, and especially one of those sins that you do over and over and over again. Yeah, I wouldn't want to show hands, but I know it being unanimous, if you're honest, we all have these sins that we continually fight against. And what's your temptation? The temptation that we see that the devil tempts us in, I think probably in the area of the boastful pride of life that we talked about last week, our temptation is to say, well, I've already asked God for forgiveness for that. He wouldn't forgive me again because he expects me to be perfect. Well, I'll be honest with you, God does say be perfect. He does expect you to be perfect. 
but he's also a realistic God who has made provision for sin, and he will also forgive sin. So that's exciting. It's kind of hard to comprehend, isn't it? But it's exciting that God, even though he expects you to be perfect, also offers forgiveness for sin. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how to access that forgiveness for sin. And let me do something. Let y'all sign this, please. Everybody sign that and uh, and talk about these things. So we'll have a record of everybody's attendance here. Okay, let's explore 1 John 1, 9. And if you, you have your book open, the verses right up there, or if you want to open up your Bible and look at it in your own translation, you can do that too. 1 John 1, 9. What does God want you to do about your sins? According to 1 John 1, 9. Okay, God wants us to confess our... What's, is it sin or sins that he wants us to confess, according to that verse? It is plural, isn't it? Okay, that means a couple of things. First thing that means is this, is that we do commit sins in the plural, normally. Okay, we don't just have one sin we wrestle with. We wrestle with a lot of sins. I'm speaking from personal experience here. I don't know y'all that well to say doll often. I do know what the Bible says. It, it says that you are. But uh, I know that I wrestle with that. And there's not just one that I wrestle with. There's a lot of them that I wrestle with. And I can confess those sins. There's something else that said, though. What if it had said, if you can bet your spit me? Okay, what is all sin? What is, I guess if you're going to say all sins, basically come under one title or sin. What is the basic sin that you would, however, you, what would you call the basic sin? What's the one sin that will send you to hell? rejection of God and especially God who is called what well the whole it blasphemy against Holy Spirit it's rejection of Jesus Christ for eternal life and I know where you're coming from sure but we're not going to get into that this morning but uh but whenever you don't receive Christ as your Savior I mean you're not going to wind up with eternal life you're going to wind up in hell I mean that's just what the Bible teaches we don't like the throw words like hell around freely but it's a biblical word okay but, you know, you might say the basic then is rejection of Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, right? So if this had said, if we confess our sin, you might have said, well, that means if you'll receive Christ as your Savior, then you're going to be purified from all unrighteousness. But see, that's not what that's talking about. What this is talking about is confessing individual sins after you've already been saved. Y'all see the difference there? Because Jesus told Simon Peter, way back in the Gospels, Jesus told him this. He said, Peter, you want to be washed all over, but I want to say to you that if you get washed all over, that's like salvation. I'm telling you what it means. It. But you just need to be washed on your feet as you go through the defilements of day-to-day life. Does this make sense to y'all? We'll keep asking all these things, but I'll make sure that these things are coming in loud and clear. Jesus said to Simon, don't ask to be forgiven for your sin of rejecting Christ again. Ask to be forgiven for the day-to-day sins that you commit. See, those are the things that we're going to see keep us from having fellowship with God. You never, we talked about this in Assurance of Salvation, you never lose the relationship with God once you accept Christ as your sake, but you do have the fellowship broken done to. You see that? What breaks fellowship or relationship with God? Fellowship with God. Speak up loudly. 
Because then, okay, then is the barrier, whether it's from coming to Christ in the first place or coming to God in the first place, or whether it's getting back into fellowship with God. When you have sin in your life, can God fellowship with you? Why is that true? What is it about God that makes that true? Oh, God is a holy God, can't look upon sin. And we're going to see some verses about that. So that's kind of the basis of what we're talking about this morning, is that until you begin to confess your sin, you are not going to have continuing fellowship with God. And it kind of works hand in hand because when you're not having fellowship with God, you really don't pay a lot of attention to your sins either, do you? When you have fellowship, you are more aware of those sins. All right, so the first thing we have to do is we have to confess our sin. Now, what does it mean, somebody else answer, what does it mean to confess anything? What does the word confess mean? Say again. To name it, that's one thing we use to say that confess means. What's another word that you think of about confess? Acknowledge, tell, admit, agree. Okay. Okay, we're going to talk about that. All right, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something we want to talk about. The basic meaning of the word confess is to agree with. That's the root meaning. And that's where name comes from. You name it. You agree that, that this is me sin. Now, what does it mean to confess a sin then? When you've done something, what does it mean to confess it as a sin? How many times have you had your children not want to admit that what they did was really wrong? Okay. They say, yeah, I did that, but it wasn't wrong. But you see the difference? The difference is it's not just saying that you did something, but saying that what you did was what? Uh, was like sin. All right? And you did something, and you then you realize, well, I'm not having much fellowship with God. There must be a sin. And you begin to think through all these things that are going on in your life, and you say, well, no, that's okay. No, that's okay. No, that's And you go through it all, like everything's fine. What you need to do is start looking a little deeper and say, and maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's a sin. Maybe I wasn't justified in that angry reaction to that person. Maybe that was the sin of anger, of unrighteous sanction. For instance, you see what I'm saying? Now, in order to be able to name act that you do, a thought that you have, or word that you say is sin, what do you have to know? What's sin? You have to know what sin is. Then where do you find that out? from other people's opinions? You certainly will. <laughs> I promise you. But where do you find out what God thinks a sin is? From the Bible. And wife count a lot. That comes from the Scripture, though. Wife counsel must be based upon the Scripture. It's okay to talk to people as long as they can give you, not necessarily Scripture and verse, but a principle from the Scripture. And that's what wife counsel is, but counsel based upon principles of the Scripture. Okay? Why I'm saying that is because a lot of times the devil also works in the area of trying to make you confess sin that ain't sin. He'll also get you down about stuff that, that you're okay about. So you can't make a mistake and go the other way. It's almost neurotic to go around confessing everything that you're doing. Oh, I'm such a terrible person, and on and on and on. No, that's not what God wants. But God's a very objective, realistic God, but he wants you to confess what really is sin. And really, 
the way it works for me is that I do name sin. That's what I try to do. I try to get what I'm doing and get a name that's in the Bible someplace attached to it. And that works for me because you know why it works? God said, if you confess your sin, I'll forgive your sin. So I know that if I can name it as a sin, and if I'm a believer and I name it as a sin, what will be my attitude toward that sin most of the time? If I'm a true believer, if I'm really someone after God's own heart, what will probably be my attitude about that sin once I really name it as a sin and not just as something I did wrong? Remorse. Okay, this is what Jim said up here earlier. I really don't think that there should confessing your sin and feeling sorry for your sin. I've, I've been under the teaching in the past that said, no, you just confess it, no matter how you feel about it, and you're forgiven. Well, I think a true believer who really confesses something, really names something as a sin, a true believer is going to be sorry about that because you can't love God and do something that hurts God without really feeling sorry for, about it if you really believe it hurt God. And sin hurts God. Sin's not, I mean, God's not a policeman up here who wants to write you a ticket if you break the law. God is a father up here who when his son or daughter disobeys him and hurts him deeply. See, we've gotten into the rules side of Christianity so much that we forget it's a relationship. That's where Christianity can go with. It's in relationship. Don't ever think of disobedience and sin is breaking the rules. Think of it as breaking someone's heart. Because that's really what sin is. Okay? Comments, questions, anything? Yeah, just a quick comment about what it, when you, when you do uh, medicine, and like I said, you don't have immediately more support than you did, but you know that it's sin. What could you do to do not and then? Yeah, that way, later. Okay. The question is, you know, what if you don't feel sorry for it? Should you go ahead and confess the sin anyway? The answer is yes, you could. If it's command of script, you know, you should go ahead and confess the sin. God will make you feel remorseful about it. I really believe this in my own life, though, that when I'm not feeling remorseful about it, I'm confessing anyway. I still have not really named this sin. That's, I mean, I'm still not really acknowledging that it's a sin. But you should still go ahead and confess it anyway. Because it's what God's told us to do. It's obedient, I really believe. And I think if you are obedient, it's kind of like doing anything. You know, we do a lot of things with wrong motives, but we know God tells us to do. I can remember several times I came up here on Monday or Tuesday night to work on the church, and I didn't do it because I feeling good about God or the church. I did it because it was my duty. But I still think it was the right thing to do because it needed to get done. I'd made a commitment. As an example, y'all see what I'm saying? There are things you do with the wrong attitude. I think you should still do and trust that God will give you the right attitude. I think that's seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. You know, you keep seeking his righteousness, even though you may not feel good about it, but the true righteousness of God goes all the way down to the heart, not just from the lips or, or in the actions that we do. Is this, this is not too complicated for y'all, is it? I mean, it sounds simple, but I, I, when I'm talking sometimes, this stuff comes out kind of convoluted. But uh, I think that's a good question to ask there. Thank you for that. Okay, number three question there. In his act of forgiving us, how is God described? I didn't hear what Swiss said. He's merciful. And what words are also used there? 
faithful and just. Now, think about both of those words. God is faithful. What is God faithful to do when we confess our sin? God is faithful to forgive. See, you must never forget that if you take hold of the promise of God of forgiveness, that God will never let you down. What we do a lot of times is we do something wrong. We say, God couldn't forgive that because I've asked for forgiveness three times today already, and it's just 12 o'clock. God couldn't forgive that again. I think you might need to check up on yourself a little bit. You've already kind of that many bad boys low clock. But the thing that I want to say is this, is that God will forgive you because the Scripture says God will forgive you. It becomes an issue of what on your part then? Faith. Do you really believe God? See, the issue of forgiveness of sin is believing God. It's not your performance. We take forgiveness of sin and based upon my performance or my repentance. It's based upon God's faithfulness. Believe that. That's what you've got to base it on. But not only is it based on God's faithfulness, but also was that verse safe based on God's what? Okay, he's willing, but the verse says something else. His justice. What that means is this. God is not playing any games when he forgives you of your sin. And what I mean by that is the sin has already been paid for. God is just to forgive you of your sin if you confess that sin. For what reason? For what reason? Why is God justified in forgiving your sin when you confess it? He atoned for it. In other words, Jesus died on the cross for all of your sins. His blood covered all your sins. It paid for all your sin. See that? Now, let me ask you this question in case we don't get to it down here. Which one of your sins did Jesus die for when he died on the cross? All of them. Which ones were covered by the blood of Christ when he died on the cross? All of your sins. Which one of your sins were past, present, or future when he died on the cross? All of them were actually all future ones, and that's how I should have asked the question. Well, here's what I'm trying to get at. Every one of the sins that you have committed or committing, maybe right now as we've got, uh, or will commit, they were all future when Christ died on the cross for Satan. Now, you think, well, yeah, I, Christ forgave that sin, but if I do it again, what if he doesn't forgive that sin? See, Christ forgave all of those sins, and all we do when we confess those sins is do what? You acknowledge what he did, and you just claim that forgiveness. See, God is justified, and he forgives you when you confess your sins, not because of you, but because of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross for you. When you ask for forgiveness, it's there instantaneously because Christ paid for it. God is justified. It's not a game that God's playing. God never plays games of himself. God is also is all, always faithful to himself. Now, what else does God do when you confess your sins? What else does we do when you confess your sin? According to that part. Remember, we're going to work out of 1 John 1, 9, the first part of it. According to that verse, what else does he do besides just 
forgive the sin that you confessed. And, okay. What another word that you use there besides cleanse? Purified. Now, purify is a stronger word in my mind than cleansing. The purifying, it's kind of like what happens to metal in the fire. You know, it gets rid of all the impurity. What does that basically say? I, I believe it's saying this, that when I confess my sin, he forgives the sin that I'm aware of. Well, what about all those sins that you're not aware of that you have not confessed? Mm. God promises to purify you from those too. It'll give you a clean conscience. I think that's what it really does. You don't have to fall prey to the devil's steam that says, yeah, I know you confessed that sin, but you're really a sinner. That's probably a lot of stuff that you're doing wrong that you could never confess. And so God really is not happy with him. The picture we have in the Bible about God the Father is that when you confess what you did wrong, what does God do? Huh? Speak up. I can't hear you. He forgives not just that sin, but your whole pattern of life that you haven't even confessed if you're not even aware of it yet. Again, go back to the analogy of father and son. Your kid does something that you don't like. As long as he'll confess that, you feel good about him again, right? But until he confesses that, you know he's aware that he did something wrong. Until he confesses that, you're not going to feel good about him. You want him to get that strike. But when he gets that strike, you know there's a whole lot of things you'd like come to be working on and get straight. But that's not the issue right then, is it? See, God really allowed sin to break the relationship, but actually all the sin had already been paid for. God is dealing in terms of relationship here. Keep getting that. When you sin, it's a violation of a relationship, not a rule. And so because of that, he forgives the sin that you confess. But then he purifies you from all the unrighteousness that's in your life. Now, 1 John 1, 8 and 10 says something else, though, about us that we have to talk about. Look at 1 John 1, 8 and 10. It's not in that. You might need to look it up. But it's right around that verse. 1 John 1, 8 and 10. What does that tell us that we should recognize about ourselves? Okay. It says that we are sinful. If we say that we have no sin, what do we do? We, and then it goes on to say, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just forgives our sins. And then it goes on to say, if we have not sinned, if we say we have not sinned, we are a liar and the truth is not in us. And we make him out to be a liar. I can't remember exactly how it goes. But it says this, is if we say we have no sin, or if we say we have not sinned, then we're just wrong, we're deceiving ourselves, we're even calling God a liar. So what does that say about us? How, what does it say about the person who never confesses a sin? He's a liar. <laughs> he's deceiving himself. He may not even think he's lying, but he's deceiving himself. You know, these fellows that walk around in this uh, perfectionistic mode, thinking that they never sin. Basically, the Bible says they're calling God a liar. Now, they got to deal with that. I don't have to deal with that for them. But that's what the Bible said. So what does that tell us about confessing sin then? When you do it, are you unique? Are you like everybody else when you sin? You're like everybody else. And so when you confess a sin, you don't need to come to God and say, God, I'm, I'm the lowest man on the totem pole. I'm worse than everybody else. When that happens, you just got to say, you know, God, I'm bringing my sin to you. 
And, and I know everybody else does too, and I know you're not happy about that, but I'm bringing my sin to you because that's what you told me to do. When you recognize that there's sin in your life, one of the greatest temptations is to hold on to that sin so you don't want to admit that you're less of a person than the image that you're trying to project everybody else. You see that? You think you're doing real good in your life, and you're projecting this image to everybody that you're doing real good, and suddenly you can commit a sin? Man, the devil wants to tip you to say, don't think that's had sin, because then you're admitting that there's, a, there's a, some kind of ripple on the screen someplace. No, the Bible says, go ahead and confess that everybody's in the same book. Again, but if you put them between my sin as a believer and the sin of someone who breathed them out to me, you're at least both sin. I'll explain your answer. I don't know that. Answer. I mean, you're telling me a believer, I still sing. So I'm the leader of the church, is what? But I can get confused about it. Then, um, because that's why I'm in victory. Well, you should confess the floods. I don't understand your floods. But I can have your last round to get to it. He added to the Lord and take it. About what that means. That didn't seem to accept for me. Okay, yeah, we should never, I, I didn't know where you're coming from. We should never view sin as what we should be doing as believers. We should be doing it as the accept. Now, my experience has been in my life that even though it is the exception to most of my life, I still do it every day. I still have those thoughts and words and deeds that I shouldn't do. And even though we say it is an exception, we should also recognize that we still all do it. That's what 1 John 1, 8 and 10 says. But then we shouldn't go to the other extreme and say, well, since everybody does it and I still do it, it's okay, because it's not. The Bible, as we saw last week, promises victory. We should be coming from a victory orientation rather than from a defeat, I'm a sinner orientation. That's what you're trying. Yeah, a lot of times, I may have an unbeliever, we really strive not to recognize sin. We don't want to acknowledge that. But as believers, right, you really ought to be to find the subject. Talk about it. Give it out. And that lied. That's right. We definitely should be being okay. All right, let's move on. Question number two. What should be your attitude towards sin? According to Psalm 139, 23, and 24, what does that say? Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Come to hell. I have a gun. Okay. See if there be any. What kind of way does, he, was the, does David call us there? See if there be any. What kind of way? Uh, wicked is the way King James says, but what does New American Standard say? Hurtful way. That's really what the word is more uh, correctly. is hurtful way. I feel the believer. It is hurtful. Who is it hurtful to? It's hurtful to God. Is that all? And to us. Chaplain. Okay. Offensive, and, and that's all offensive, wicked, hurtful, without going into big word study, but the idea is a, an offense is something that makes you stumble. That's what the word really meant, what you have in the New Testament also, and something that makes you fall down, something that hurts you, that impedes your progress toward God is really what it is. Okay? The sin should be recognized as something hurtful, and so what should you want to do with it? According to Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Avoid it. You should want God to be searching your heart to reveal to you the area that says. Now, I do this. 
doesn't mean that's why you should do it. But I do this. I say, God, reveal to me areas of sin in my life. Because you know what? If I leave it up to myself to look for them, I ain't going to find too many of them. Because I like myself. Basic premise, no matter what the psychologists say, is that man likes himself. No man ever hated his own body, I mean, in Ephesians it says. We like ourselves. And so if we leave it up to ourselves to find the sin, we'll probably not find it. But if we'll ask God to reveal it to us, like the psalmist gave in Psalm 139, what will God do for us? We're sincerely asking him to show it to us and are willing to deal with it. He'll show it to us. That's a good promise from God. Say something.